Welcome to the Lifehouse Podcast. Our aim is that together we can love God, love others as we walk each step with Christ. We hope you find this message practical, encouraging and life-giving. Be blessed. Well, Palm Sunday is, um, is one of my favourite holidays because I think this really highlights how Jesus liked to take our expectations and then completely miss them. Um, he, he did this a lot, but Palm Sunday really puts it in the spotlight. See, on Palm Sunday, um, the, kind of, the, the people of Jerusalem knew that Jesus was coming, all right? He was on his way to Jerusalem, um, and, and they'd, kind of, they'd heard about him, right? They knew that this was the guy that had been challenging the authorities, he'd been setting people free, healing them, performing these miracles, and, and he's on his way to Jerusalem, right? He'd been proclaiming a new covenant. This was huge. This was a this was an exciting moment for them, but, but Jesus kind of turns the tables on them, hence the, the title for this morning, um, because they were expecting a hero on a mighty steed, but he rocks up as a servant, and it's, it's not really what they were expecting. They, they were ready to crown him king. They were ready to devote their lives to him. They were ready to, to kind of treat him the way they were meant to treat him, but they wanted him to meet their expectations and defeat the enemy, which he did, but not in the way they thought. And so he arrives as, as a servant, and, and they're probably a little disappointed, but hey, he's here, you know? At least he's, he's here, he can, he can march straight up, he can do some damage, but that doesn't actually happen. If, if we look at Mark 11, verse 11... This is actually what happened on Palm Sunday, the very first Palm Sunday. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the Twelve. He rocked up, he had a look around, and he went home. That was Palm Sunday. That's, that's what the people of Jerusalem got that, that day. And I don't know about you, but I've I've had moments in my life where my expectations have been built up really high and then I've been utterly let down. Anyone, anyone know what that's like? I was, um, I was trying to think of a, a time to share with you when, when that kind of thing happened and the, the first thing that jumped to mind is when I was about 10 years old, um, down in Adelaide going to, to our youth group down there at the time, um, we we were announced by the, sorry, the, the youth leaders made this announcement that Zac Efron was going to be joining us for a night for our youth service. And I was, I, like, I, I didn't really know much of Zac Efron's work. I wasn't a huge fan, but I knew he was, he was a celebrity. It was a big name, so I was pretty excited. But then the night came, and we're all sitting there, and, and they're on stage, and, and they introduce him, Zach Efron, to the stage, everybody. We all kind of start clapping. And then it's just one of the youth leaders with a new haircut. And look, like he looked kind of similar, but, you know, my expectations were, were kind of let down. And, and Jesus does that a lot. He, he, he kind of ignores what we expect, and he does things his way. And quite often it's, well, it's always a better way but quite often we don't realise that until we look back at it. So, so that's kind of what the people of Jerusalem went through on that first Palm Sunday. Um, but there's, there's a couple other points that I'd like to talk to today. So 
First, I want to talk about Jesus riding a donkey. Then I want to talk about Jesus cursing a fig tree. And then I want to finish up talking about Jesus flipping the tables. So I'm going to just start off with, with some prayer before we get into it. I'm just asking that God would be speaking today, um, that my words would be his words, um, and that each of us would receive something from him this morning. Is that all right? Awesome. All right. Heavenly Father, we come before you right now, and, and we, we first want to lay aside our expectations, God. You've got a plan for today, and we don't know what that is, but, but Lord, have your way. Please speak to us this morning. Open our ears, open our eyes, open our hearts, Lord both the, the, the congregation in this room and everyone watching online. Father, please speak to them this morning, and God, let this message be from you. In your mighty name we pray, amen. Awesome. All right, so we start this story of three parts um, with, with Jesus riding the donkey, and we can jump in uh, in Mark chapter 11, verse 1, which says, As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why are you doing this, say the Lord needs it, and we'll send it back here shortly. So that's what they did. They they went in and they found the colt. And if you look at other gospel accounts of this story, it it wasn't just the colt, it was the colt and its mother. Okay, and, and I'll explain more about that later. But, but they take the colt and its mother back to Jesus and, and he rides the colt into Jerusalem. And, and we jump back in at verse 8. Many people spread their cloaks on the road while others spread branches they had cut in the fields, palm branches, which is where we get Palm Sunday from. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Now, Hosanna doesn't have an exact translation into English, okay? It's, it's kind of a mix between please save us and a shout of thanks and praise. So, in this context, it's almost being used as kind of like a title, like, like that of a champion. They're saying, Hosanna, this guy's going to save us. Hosanna, he is our saviour. All right, so they're, kind of, they're thanking him for saving them, but he hasn't done it yet. And as they're crying that out, as they're laying their cloaks down, Jesus is turning the tables on them. As, as I mentioned before, they're a bit let down in the way he arrives, and on, on a donkey, of all things. Like, if I was going to give you a modern-day equivalent, all right, and bear with me here, because this is the best I could come up with. Imagine the queen started putting laws in place that, that weren't really for our best interests. Maybe she, was, she became quite oppressive, and so we didn't like the queen, okay? So that's, that's the first part of this modern-day context. And then we hear about someone walking around with superpowers, all right? They're, they're out there. Everyone's talking about them. They're, they're trending on social media, front page of the newspaper, if anyone still reads that. They're on the news, right? This is happening. There's, there's an actual superhero out there. And then we find out that they're going to challenge the queen to set us free. And then we find out that they're coming to Murray Bridge. And that when they come to Murray Bridge, they're going to put a stop to poverty, they're going to fix addictions, they're going to... Whatever the main problem is in your life, they're going to solve it, right? This superhero is going to come in and and fix everything. And then we find out that they're here, so we all run out and we're we're lining the streets and it's a bin truck driver from Adelaide. (laughs) Right? 
It's a weird, weird kind of image, but that's kind of what it was like for them at the time. All right, so my first point for you today is hold your expectations loosely, because Jesus likes to break them. He likes, he's, he's bigger than them. I mean, they, they wanted a hero, but he was an average-looking carpenter dude from some fishing village with an average reputation, rocking up on an animal that everyone kind of, you know, they saw that as a, as a beast of burden, a, a pack animal. And specifically, as we read in, in verse 2, I'm, I don't claim to be a donkey expert, never have, doubt I ever will, but my understanding is that, that if it had never been ridden before, it wouldn't have known how being ridden worked. Like, it wouldn't have known the signals from the reins, turn left, turn right, speed up, slow down. It wouldn't have gotten any of that. It had never been ridden before. But they, they brought its mother. And it would have known to stay close to mother. So, if you think about it, there's a strong likelihood that Jesus wasn't even in command of the animal that was carrying him. Do you get how low of a position he had taken? How far he had humbled himself? He was their saviour, but not in the way they expected. All right, so, and then as, as I said before, he, he comes in, he looks around, and then he, he goes home. So, not a great day for the people of Jerusalem. They're probably a bit let down at this point. All right, that's, that's Palm Sunday, but then the next day he comes back into Jerusalem. And, um, and we, we read on from, from Mark chapter 11, verse 12. The next day, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves, because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. And this story continues in verse 20. As they passed by the fig tree he had cursed, the disciples noticed it had withered from the roots up. Peter remembered what Jesus had said to the tree and exclaimed, look, Rabbi, teacher, the fig tree you cursed has withered and died. And this passage quite clearly shows Christ's power and authority, but I think it also has some pretty strong imagery around the importance of bearing fruit and the dangers of not bearing fruit. Now, when I was growing up in Adelaide, our backyard had a fig tree in it, and we've got a photo of that, uh, if Peter wants to chuck that up, there we go, that's, that's me and my younger brother Joseph climbing the fig tree together. And um, as you can see, there's, there's nice green leaves on it. And uh, this, this tree did bear fruit. Uh, it wasn't the tastiest figs. Um, what, mostly what we'd do is when mum wasn't looking, we'd take our tennis rackets and we'd just hit figs as far as we could over the fences to the neighbours' yards. So uh, if you were in Adelaide and found some random figs in your yard, I'm sorry, that was probably me. Um, <laughs> but, but, you know, this... This fig tree that, that was in our backyard, through the, through the spring and summer, it'd, it'd have these beautiful green leaves, it'd bear this fruit, but then winter would come and the leaves would drop off and it would end up looking kind of like a mangled pile of grey sticks. It was really itchy to climb, it was awful. Um, 
But, you know, fruit trees have seasons, right? And, and what we read in verse 13 there is that he found nothing but leaves because it was not the season for figs. And surely Jesus knew that. I mean, the disciples knew it when they wrote it down. So surely Jesus knew it wasn't the time for figs. So my question is, how could Jesus curse a tree for not doing something that it wasn't meant to be doing? How is that fair? Did the tree deserve that? But I started looking into it, and it turns out, while most fruit trees bear fruit once a year, fig trees actually have two crops. They have the main crop, the the nice juicy figs, through the spring and the summer, and then when those drop off, they're replaced by these, these tough little figs called breba figs. Breba or breba, I'm not sure which. But these breba figs, and they're just these tough little things that just stay dormant on the tree over the winter until the next season. So, so when Jesus saw it had no fruit, even though it wasn't the season for fruit, he knew it was an unfruitful tree. And there's a few things we can take from this. The first is that fruitfulness is accompanied by lasting evidence. True fruitfulness is not limited to the season you're in. That might be true for most fruit trees, but it's not true for us. True fruitfulness should have lasting evidence. So, so what does that mean for us then? Is that if we don't show constant evidence that we are fruitful, if we go too long without producing something, do we deserve to wither and die? And what does any of this have to do with turning the tables? How is Jesus turning the tables here? Well, something I've learned from Josh is whenever you read through Scripture, you should ask yourself, how is this showing that God is more gracious and loving and better than I thought? But when I read through that, it seems that Jesus is kind of more violent and more judgmental and more harsh than I thought. But if unfruitfulness deserves withering and death, then fruitfulness, you know, the opposite must be true. Fruitfulness must be accompanied by life. So how can we be fruitful? And in the next verse, Jesus answers. Mark eleven twenty two, have faith in God. And he goes on to explain how he had the power and authority to, to do that to the tree, how that worked, and how we can have that same power and authority through faith. But, but that's what it's about, because that power and authority itself is a fruit of a relationship with God. Have faith in God. So my second point for you today is hold Christ tight. It's about connection. And this is described beautifully in an analogy that Jesus presents about a vine and its branches. And, and the disciples didn't get this until a, a couple of days later. This was, this was a bit closer to Easter itself. But we can jump straight in uh, to John 15, verses 5 to 8. 
Jesus said, yes, I am the vine. You are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. So when Jesus cursed that tree, he was less changing the nature of the tree and more so exposing it for the nature it was already actually in, its, its true state. Because that tree had already withered where it mattered. It was already unfruitful, which meant that it was just in the way. It was just using up resources. It wasn't fulfilling its purpose. It was just pointless to keep around. So he withered it and it died. And my immediate reaction to that is that it's a pretty harsh judgment. But maybe I feel that way because I know how unfruitful I can be. And I know my mum knows how unproductive. And if that's the judgment, that's, that's pretty scary. But the beautiful solution that Jesus offers is to have faith, to rely on God, because a branch doesn't need a focus to produce fruit. It just needs to be connected to something greater. The fruit doesn't come from the branch. The fruit comes through the connection. And the point I'm trying to get at here, and I think the point that Jesus is trying to get at, is that we, by ourselves are withered and dry. We are. That is our true state. When we aren't with God, we are fruitless. We are hopeless. We are pointless. But with God, with Jesus, it's a different story. When there's that connection, it doesn't matter what we are or what we're not. All that matters is that we're connected with Jesus and everything that he is. We don't need to worry about bearing fruit because when we're in connection with Jesus, he brings the fruit with him. He provides. All right, so is that, is that good? Good, all right. So Palm Sunday, Jesus rides in on a donkey, looks around, goes back home. The next day, Monday, he's making his way back in. He gets hungry, curses a tree, and continues in to Jerusalem. And we read from verses 15 to 17. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. When you come to God... How are you approaching that table? Because I think we all fall into one of those two categories, the two kinds of people who are at those tables, the buyers and the sellers. And it says that Jesus drove them all out. Are you here to profit off of a relationship with God? Or are you trying to buy your way into his presence? And these are two very extreme sides, but I feel 
none of us get this exactly right, you know? So we, we often drift one way or another. Either we're focusing on what we can give, our works, our time, our money, our sacrifices, trying to earn our way into the temple, just like the buyers were doing. They, they were focused on what they could give Jesus. They were trying to buy something to sacrifice. They were trying to give enough. And, and, you know, when we have that mindset, we can often find ourselves saying things like, I'm meant to be a good person. I should be doing this. I should volunteer to help Mark with the renovations. I should be giving my, my tithe with a cheerful heart. And, you know, I'm not trying to say that giving's a bad thing. It's definitely not. I don't want to discourage any of you from generosity. The Bible's pretty clear that it's a good thing. But if we subconsciously believe that our closeness with God is dependent on our giving, we're getting it wrong. And likewise, we can go too far the other way. We can get focused on what we can receive from God, profiting off religion, the benefits of Christianity, an incredible community, generous friends, a sense of spiritual safety. But again, if we're, if we're too focused on receiving from God rather than God himself... We're, we're missing the point. And, you know, we, some hints as to, to if, you're, if you're leaning that way, if you're receiving inclined, is that when you pray, you're asking for stuff. Or rather, you, you seldom pray unless you're asking for stuff. You could say, you know, God, I know I'm meant to be a good steward, of my finances, but, you know, it was on sale, it looked great, uh, but now I need more money. Jehovah Jireh, like my provider, please give me some more money to get through. Or maybe we can say, you know, God, I stayed up last night watching TV on Netflix and now I'm really tired, but you say, come to me all who are weary and I'll give you rest. So Lord, please give me strength to get through the day, even though it's my fault. (laughs) Well, what about... Help me find my keys. (laughs) You know, I'm sure we've all prayed something like that at some point. But what about these, right? What about, God, you owe me. I did the right thing. I did what you asked, and then everything fell apart, and it got really difficult. You know, that, that thing was really important to me, but I gave it up for you, and now what have I got to show for it? Does that sound familiar to anyone? How about this? God, I'm back. I know I said that I'd leave that sin behind me, but I fell again. And here I am begging you for forgiveness again. Lord, please accept my undying, irrevocable, heartfelt repentance. I'm never going never gonna to go back to that ever again. Just like I said last time and the time before that and all the other times. Because we start taking his generosity for granted. We are supposed to go to God in every situation. Again, I don't want to discount that. It's important. He wants to support us. He wants to give for us. But if that's our focus, we are missing the point. And if we're expecting more from God than we've already gotten from him, 
we're going to be waiting a long time. Because heaven holds no greater treasure than Jesus. And he was already given for us. We have everything we need in him. Okay, I'm coming to the end. I'm, I'd like to invite my sister, Danielle, up. Um, Danielle, did you want to grab a chair as well as, as the table there? Um, this is mostly just to keep me entertained for the, for the last few minutes, but um, it's also her birthday, so I thought it'd embarrass her. Happy birthday, Danielle. Yeah, give her a hand. All right, we're just going to play a quick game of chess, if that's okay with everyone. Thanks, guys. This is great. This is awesome. Okay. Sorry, I will be preaching in between as well, but... Yeah. Oh, my turn first, isn't it? Yeah. All right. So, now both of those groups, the buyers and the sellers, were actually both coming from the same heart. I can see I've lost everyone's attention. This is great. Um, <laughs> they're actually both coming from the same place, aren't they? Because... They're both feeling like they don't have enough, the buyers and the sellers. And you might think, well, that makes sense for the people who are trying to receive, right? They might feel like they don't have enough. Their, their tank is empty. They need to be filled. But it's actually also true of those who are focused on giving because they give and they give and they give and it's never enough. You know, God's done so much for me, I just want to repay him. But no matter how much I give, no matter how much of my time, no, how much, no matter how much effort I put in, it's never enough. I am not enough. We all feel withered and dry. And so we either focus on receiving or just keep on trying to give. But we, we're missing the point. So I guess... What I want to ask here is if, if the buyers and the sellers, if the people focused on receiving and the people focused on giving, if none of them were allowed to stay in the temple, none of them were allowed to stay in God's presence, if Jesus chased them all out, then who was allowed in? Who was allowed in the temple? Who was allowed in God's presence? Who was enough? All right, sorry. <laughs> I knew this would distract me. Who was enough? Who was allowed in the temple? And if we keep reading through Mark, it says that there was a crowd there. But, but who was that crowd made of? But we find the answer if we jump over to Matthew's gospel. This is Matthew 21:14 says, And those who were blind... And those who limped came to him in the temple area and he healed them. The blind and the lame. And you might think, well, well, they came to receive, right? They came to receive a miracle. They came to receive healing. But the actual wording is that they came to him and they were healed. They came to him, and they received. The benefits were there, but their focus was on Jesus. 
And so, okay, if they weren't there to receive, well, what were they bringing with? They weren't bringing any sacrifice. But they, they, they weren't carrying any gifts. They weren't bringing any sacrifices. But in actual fact, what they did bring was everything Jesus ever wanted of us, ourselves, as we are. That's who he let in the temple. But, but there's more to it than that, right? Because, oh. because the blind and the lame weren't actually meant to be allowed into the temple. There was a saying around since King David's day. And the saying was, the blind and the lame shall not come into the house. And this was originally aimed at a specific group of people. And you can read more about that in 2 Samuel chapter 5. But they weren't actually meant to be allowed in. This, this saying grew to the point that in Jesus' day... These people were scorned and shunned and looked down on and they weren't good enough. They were seen as too broken, too dirty. They weren't allowed in God's presence. But Jesus turns the tables. He says, no, you are welcome here. He says, no matter what people say about you, no matter what people think about you, no matter what people see in you, forget all that. You are welcome here with me. And that was, that was then, that was great. That was the first Passion Week. But now it's a little different because, because the temple looks a little different. If we read from 1 Corinthians 3.16, it says, don't you know? that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst. You are the temple. You are the temple. And my third point for you today is don't hold back. You are the temple. Will you be a den for the thief or a house of prayer for the Father? You are the temple. Who will you let into the presence of God? And would you dare to turn the tables? And see, this phrase, turning the tables, actually comes from a board game. See, at a certain point in the game, one side starts winning and the other side starts losing. And Danielle's taken two of my pieces and I've taken one of hers, but it's my turn and I'm actually one move away from checkmate. <laughs> See, turning the tables came as this phrase, this, this sort of metaphor for taking on the position that was that of your competitor. In Danielle's case, she wants to turn the tables on me. She wants to take my role as winner and give me the role of loser. She wants to turn the tables. And in this case, she would actually need a miracle. <laughs> but the truth is that in order to get to this point, 
for me to be winning, I had to make the right moves. I had to make the right decisions. I had to, to make the right choices. I had to have a plan and stick to it in order to, to be the winner. And likewise, Danielle had to make some mistakes. She had to, to do some wrong moves. She had to sacrifice the pieces that she might have, maybe that wasn't the right thing to sacrifice. And maybe she didn't sacrifice the right things. But she, she got it wrong and she became the loser. Happy birthday. <laughs> and the truth is, God doesn't like a bad move. He doesn't like it at all. He, he wants everyone to be the winner. And so he had every right to end the game. From the first mistake that we made, he had every right to just wipe the board clean and start over. He's God. He doesn't need to put up with that. He doesn't like a bad move. But instead of clearing the table, he turns the table. He takes on every mistake, every bad move that we made. He puts that on himself. And in exchange, he gives us the position of ultimate victory. Checkmate. Well done. Thank you, Daniel. Jesus didn't need to turn the tables. He was already winning. He'd already won. But he turns the tables for us. And so I'd like to just pray as, as the rest of the band makes their way up. I'd like to pray for all of us that, that we would stand in that position of victory and that we would know that as the temple of God, we have that choice to make, that we can let people in. We, we don't have to remain withered and dry branches heaped on a pile ready to be burnt. We can actually stand in connection with victory through Jesus and everything that he offers, all the fruit that he provides, we can actually have that in our lives because he turned the tables on us. And he gave us what we didn't deserve. And so if you'd like to stand to your feet, we're just going to pray as we close that God would be with us and that we would stand with him, be connected to him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for everything you've done for us. That, that you made all the right moves and that you, that you actually gave that to us that you, you took on our position so that we could take yours. And God, we thank you that you made it so easy to stand with you, to be connected with you. There was no way we could have done it ourselves, but, but God, you did it for us. And God, I just want to pray over, over everyone in this room and everyone watching online, if you're a buyer or a seller, if you find that at times you're too focused on receiving or too focused on trying to give everything you've got, but you're missing the fact that when we're in connection with Jesus, none of that matters. That that is all we need. He is all we ever needed. So I'd like to just pray, Heavenly Father, that you would, you would just help us remember that, that you are everything 
that it doesn't matter what we give and it doesn't matter what we get because we've got you. That when we stand with you, we have everything we need. So Lord, please give us the boldness to be your temples in your way. Give us the strength, give us the faith in you to be houses of prayer, Lord, and to turn the tables for the people in our lives and to share this good news, to share that connection and to bear much fruit for you, Lord. We thank you and we praise you in your mighty name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Holly, and thanks, Danielle. Thank you for joining us this week. If you wish to connect with us, please send an email to info at life.house or come and see us at 170 Adelaide Road, Murray Bridge. And remember, the door is always open for you at Lifehouse. God's house, our home.